your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 2. And as you're doing that, I'm, I don't know if, I don't want to assume you're like me, but I just have a lot of questions and I'm glad we have a lunch afterwards um, for some parents as well as from kids. Those hands went up and some stayed up and I'm just trying to think like, what is he thinking about asking at this moment? Most of it was the young boys, which is great, but I, I'm going to try to follow up. I was taking these mental pictures of like, I'm going to ask you a, a number of questions to figure out what was going through that little brain at that moment. But uh, Ryan, you did an outstanding job. I'm so grateful for the gift that you are to our church and the ways in which you serve uh, in our children's ministry and so many other places as well. Um, so Matthew chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 1 through 12 this morning. Let me go ahead and read that and then I'll pray. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was Troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, or are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather here this morning, Lord, to celebrate your amazing grace, your love for us and sending your son Jesus to save us. And Lord, I just ask that as we spend time in your word this morning, you would soften our hearts, that we would receive all that you have for us through this word. And Lord, that this word would bear a lot of fruit in our lives, Lord, that we would see Christ more clearly and we would more passionately seek to worship him and follow him with our entire lives. And so, Lord, would you accomplish your good purposes this morning in Jesus' name, amen. So I want you to just imagine with me for just a moment that you were Herod. This Herod is not just any Herod. He was known as Herod the Great, the king of Judea. 
He was a man of power, and he, he loved having this power. He would use this power many times in a very ruthless way as he ruled as a tyrant. He was a man who would kill anyone who got in his way or tried to take his kingdom from him or any of his power away from him. He even went so far as to kill three of his sons to keep his position and power as king. So I want you to imagine that you're this Herod. And so if you're him, I want you to imagine, how, how would you feel? How would you feel if some foreign wise men showed up to your palace and stood in front of you as you were sitting on your throne and asked you, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? How would you feel in that moment? How do you think you would respond? Would you feel threatened? Do you think you'd get angry? If it were me, I definitely would feel threatened and I'd get angry. If, if I was Herod and I had killed three of my own sons to keep what I really wanted, I can only imagine these three wise men showing up and trying to tell me that some baby boy has been born and he's actually the king of the Jews. And so I would be threatened and I would be angry. What would you do? If you were Herod, would you feel troubled? Well, that's exactly how he felt. He felt troubled by this news. The next question is, what would you then do about it? I'll tell you what you'd do. You'd try to find the person and kill him. And this is exactly what Herod did. At first, he tried to be nice about it. And if, you just remember what I just shared with you. you. You try to gather the information. You try to figure out what's actually going on. And so you don't want to show all your cards too early. And so you gather information. He gathered information from the chief priests and the scribes together, asking them where Christ was to be born. And if anybody knew of Christ's location, then it would have been the Pharisees. It would have been the scribes. And they did know his location. It was in Bethlehem, for the prophets had written about it. So being the nice guy that Herod was, he then told the wise men where to go to find this so-called king of the Jews. But before he let them go, he secretly asked them to report back to him so that he could go and worship this king. And so at the beginning, it seems nice. It seems like Herod is... is is maybe kind of turned a corner. I mean, after all, he's, he's, when you get there, come back to me and tell me where this so-called king of the Jews is so that I, too, might be able to go there, that I might be able to see him, and that I, too, might be able to worship him. But that's not what happened. The wise men didn't report back to him, but instead they escaped to their own country. And Herod's true colors were revealed. In Matthew 2, verse 16, we read the following. It said, Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. Not a surprise. And he sent and he killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. 
You see, Herod was never planning on going and seeing Jesus so that he could then bow down and worship Jesus as Savior and King. His intentions all along were to kill him. Just like he had killed everyone else who tried to take away his throne. Now, none of us were Herod, nor will we ever probably be Herod, but all of us this morning find ourselves being confronted by Jesus Christ. And like Herod, we too must respond to who he is. And what we see from our text this morning is that there really are only three ways in which we can respond to Christ. We can reject him, we can neglect him, and that's kind of more like just ignore him and hope he sort of goes away and kind of really falls into the rejection, but it's a little more passive than just outright wanting to kill him. Or number three, we can accept him. We can believe in him. We can trust in him. We can give our lives to following him. Maybe you've made this decision already, or maybe you've sort of just been waiting. Maybe you feel like God's been drawing you. He's been doing something in your heart and you find yourself here this morning and you really don't even know why, but you're here. And we're grateful to God that you are here, but being here, all of us find ourselves being confronted by Jesus Christ, by this wonderful truth that God so loved this world that he sent his only son, Jesus, into this world and he was born into this world. As a baby. And he was born to live in our place and to die on a cross, taking all of our punishment so that whoever believes in him would be saved, forever forgiven and given eternal life. And so we find ourselves confronted. Will we reject this Jesus? Will we just simply neglect him, kind of put him off until it sort of makes sense or he maybe fits into our life or those moments when we really need him, like Ryan was saying, when we find ourselves on our back and we can't get up? Or will we accept him and love him? What we're going to learn this morning in the text is, like the wise men in this story, we too should accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, as our King, and worship him. Now, to help us really work through this decision, what we're going to do is we're going to take a look at three points this morning. They're just one-word points. Number one is rejection. Number one is rejection. Everyone knows that you can't have two kings ruling and reigning over the same kingdom. I hope everybody knows that. It it may have been attempted, but, but at the end of the day, you kind of just need one king to lead. Two kings, you start to get into this conflict of, of who's going who's gonna to win out, who's, who's going who's gonna to really lead us. There's always an exception, though, but when it comes to Herod and his ruling and reigning as king over the Jews, he, he wasn't going to share any of this power with anyone. He wasn't willing to even share this power with his own children, and so he, he killed those who tried to take his kingdom from him. See, Herod was just a madman, a madman who chose to reject Jesus and even tried his best to kill him because he saw Jesus as a threat to his own life. 
Someone who would come and take away his power. Someone who might come away and take away his throne and his identity as king. Now, Douglas O'Donnell wrote the following. He said, if Herod didn't think Jesus was actually born, if he didn't think Jesus might indeed be a king, the king, if he didn't think this new king, though now just a child, could in fact dethrone him, rule over him, take allegiance from him, he would not have done what he did. The point here is that Herod did what we all have done. And what some of you are continuing to do even today as you consider the reality of who Jesus is. He rejected Jesus. See, Jesus is a threat to everyone who wants to be the king of his or her own life. You see, if he truly is the one and only Lord and Savior, if he really is the only true king who is really reigning and ruling over everything, then what that means is that we're not. We're not reigning and ruling over all things. If he is who he says he is, then what that means for us is dethronement. It means we're called to live a life of submission to Jesus and his will and not ours. It means we can't lead our own lives as Herod tried to do. See, the ultimate reason Herod or anyone else rejects Jesus as king is because we're sinners. We're sinners. We we like to do our own thing. We, We don't like to always do what God has called us to do. We almost or always tend to like to do our own thing. We like to be in charge of our own lives. See, if Herod were to accept Jesus as king, then it meant that he really wasn't the king. And it meant that he really wasn't the one in charge. In a similar way, if you were to accept Jesus as your savior and king, then it means your life is not your own. To do whatever it is you want to do, whenever it is you want to do it, with whomever you want to do it with. Jesus' authority as king, it confronts our own little kingdoms that we set up for ourselves every single day. The only way that we can continue to rule and reign over our little kingdoms, which really don't exist, is for us to continue to reject Jesus as king and reject his power and authority Paul Tripp writes the following. He says, there simply is no denying it. Life this side of eternity is one big and unending war of kingdoms. Much of our inner turmoil and our interpersonal struggles are the direct result of kingdoms in conflict. Sin causes us to live inwardly directed, selfish lives instead of lives of upward worship an outward love that we were created to live. Just think about any conflict that you recently got into. There's a war going on in that conflict. You want something, somebody else wants that something. And when you really want those things, and you have two people who really want those things, what ends up happening? They collide. 
And eventually somebody's fighting and they, they want to get what they want and they're going to work really hard to get what they want. And that's what he's, he's saying. Is there's, a, there's a collision of kingdoms going on. And I would say there's a collision of kingdoms going on right now in our hearts, being confronted by God's love and sending his son Jesus into this world. It's, it's, it's a collision of are you going to continue to choose to do what you want to do, or are you going to trust in Christ? Bend your knee and follow him. Herod chose not to. Herod chose to reject Jesus. Jesus later in Matthew writes the following. He says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. Can't serve two masters. We can't hold on to our own lives, thinking that we can reign and rule over those things, and at the same time think that that we can love Jesus at the same time and seek to walk this path where these two kingdoms are kind of held together. You you can't serve two masters. You either be devoted to the one and or despise the other. And so the question for us this morning as we find ourselves being confronted by Jesus is who will you serve? Who will you serve? Will you be like Herod and reject Jesus or will you be like the wise men and accept him as your king? Now before we get to the wise men and we look at their response to Christ, we're going to take a look at the Pharisees and the scribes and their response, which was one really of indifference. Point number two, though, we're going to call it neglect. So when Herod was working out his sinister plan to killed Jesus, he consulted with the Pharisees and the scribes to find Jesus' location. Look at me at verse 3. It says, When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him, and assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they knew right away. And they told them, In Bethlehem of Judea, for it For so it is written by the prophet, and you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. See, if anyone knew where Jesus was going to be at that time, it was going to be the chief priests and the scribes. They were the so-called experts of the law. They knew everything there would be to know about the coming Messiah as it had been written in the Old Testament. It was their job to know these things. It was their job to be able to answer questions like they just answered. See, no one knew the exact time or season of Jesus' birth, but because of what God had revealed through his word, they did know the location. You would think that these experts of God's word, though, would, be, would just be waiting. Waiting with this great anticipation. I mean, just think about that for a second. They they know all there is to know about God from his word. They study his word. They they know the answer where the Messiah is going to be. And so you would expect them to be waiting with this sort of anticipation and expectation. And maybe there was. But from their response and what we see here, I don't know that they cared too much about it. It's not a surprise that they knew the right answer. No, the surprise here in the text is is how they responded. 
or really how they didn't respond to hearing about the birth of Jesus with this indifference and neglect to really do anything about it. It appears as if they just simply answered the question and then just went back to studying God's word without ever getting up and running with the wise men to go and see the king of the Jews. Wouldn't you be at least a little curious if indeed Christ had really come? Now to be fair, I'm sure they were busy, right? Everybody gets busy. But it's surprising, and it should surprise us. They had all the knowledge they needed, but they didn't do a single thing with it except answer the question. Charles Price writes the following. He says, they knew the facts, and they could quote accurately the scriptures, but they couldn't care less about the implications to them, nor the response demanded from them. It was sheer indifference. See, the world that we live in, and I would, I would include us in this at times, and the church can be full of people like this today. And if we're not careful, that can be us. This whole season of Christmas, it's about Jesus. God loving us so much, sending his son into this world to live a perfect life in our place. And then to die a humiliating death on a cross, taking the full punishment for all of our sins so that we would be forever forgiven, declared righteous, brought into a right relationship with God so that we might receive eternal life, so that we might live life with hope. Hope that there really is life beyond this life. And our hope is all rooted in Jesus Christ. And so this whole season of Christmas is about Jesus. But it's hard sometimes to remember that if we're not intentional. If we just, if we just get caught up in the culture, what we get caught up is in is celebrating a season. I've been thinking about this a lot recently, probably over the, the last week or two of just, of just the season. I think it was provoked. Somebody probably shared a, a, a quote about something and it was, it had to do with make sure we're, we're not just singing about a season, but we're singing about a savior because the season is really all about a savior. But I think, I think we can get caught up into just celebrating a season and forget about the savior or the savior just sort of becomes this add on that, that we maybe read a story about him. But this whole season is about Jesus Christ. And what we see here from these scribes is that they just became indifferent to the long-awaited Messiah. We need to be careful because we can sing songs like we just sang this morning and we can let the words just sort of come out of our mouths but, but not really be affected by them. Not really engage them when we hear these words being sung by the congregation. Because if we just stop for a moment, and we're going to close in just a few moments by singing a song. And I've just challenged us as a church to be intentional during that time. To really sing these words, but allow for these words to impact and find their way into our hearts. Because these words are true. We're here today 
because of this good news. We're here. We, we get to show up every Sunday and celebrate this good news because God has so loved us and he sent his son to save us. And I know how easy it is to become just real familiar with the gospel. We, we can say the word gospel. We can talk about the gospel. But a lot of times it, it really doesn't affect our hearts. We all get to that place at times. And we can be like the scribes where we're just indifferent. Where we just end up neglecting Jesus. See, what makes this season so joyful is not just the lights or the stars or the Christmas trees or the presents or the family that shows up. That's fun. That is enjoyable. But none of that lasts. Does it? I mean, my tree will not be up in my house past noon on the 26th. I'm not joking. That thing just goes away. Some of you will keep it up longer. I get it. I love driving at night. There's some pretty houses. It's just, it's a happy feeling, especially you grab a Starbucks with that red cover, whatever cup, and you just drive around. But it's just a season. That all goes away. And then, then you get this dreary sort of January and it's like all the joy is just sucked out of whatever just happened because you're just so tired from the season that you just experienced, right? And you just want summer to get here or spring break because you're just, you're tired because it's a season. But Jesus, our Savior, he's not a season, not a season. And so we can't be indifferent. I just challenge us as a church. Let us be intentional in our worship of him. Which leads us to our final response. And that is to accept him. So far we've seen Herod reject him. He just wanted to kill him. Wanted to get rid of him. We've seen the chief priests and the scribes neglect Jesus. But, but now what we're going to see is we're going to see wise men. Rightly responding to Jesus by accepting him and worshiping as king. Throughout this entire story, the wise men had been on a journey to find the king so that they could worship him. Just so you know, these wise men weren't, weren't, weren't Jews. They, they were Gentiles. We don't know a ton about them, but we do know that they were spurred on by, by some prophecy and they saw some things. And so, so they were starting to follow the stars trying to find this Messiah, this King of the Jews. Everything about this story, in many ways, is, is ironic. It is meant to teach us about how, how God works. See, what I mean by that is, the scribes should have been the ones. They should have been the ones. They, they had it all. They had the book. They had the study. They knew the answers. They saw the star. But they're just sitting there doing nothing. It's these, these Gentile wise men who, who heard about this prophecy and they start to follow it and they just, they leave everything to go and find this Jesus. And I draw your attention to that because that's how God works. See, God's at work looking to save the lost. To make himself known to every tribe and nation. He's a good God. He's a loving God. He's a gracious God. He's a God who's at work in all things. He's not limited at all by 
our ignorance or by our indifference. He can and will work in mysterious ways to accomplish his good purposes. And I love that about him. And it's my prayer that you too would would just love that about God. He can do whatever it is he wants to do in whatever way he wants to do it because it glorifies him and he's perfect in all his ways. And this is how he chose to save us. And this is how he chose to reveal himself to the world. Calling these wise men to come and find him in the midst of this conflict where Herod wanted to kill him and the people who should have been finding him were just indifferent to him. See, our God is mysterious in a wonderful way. So when they saw the star in the sky, they immediately left everything and to go find Jesus. They, they persevered past Herod, and they made their way to Bethlehem, and they found Jesus. Verse 9, after listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and they worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. See, I think what we see here is, it's just, it's an illustration of what's the right response to Jesus? When we find ourselves confronted with the reality of who he is, how, how should we respond to him. What does accepting him look like? Well, these wise men, they tell us, rejoiced exceedingly. So they weren't just rejoicing, they were exceedingly rejoicing. And on top of that, they, they did that. I don't know how this is done. It's probably one of those things where you, you see it and you know it. But so they, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Do you see what he's saying there? They were happy times two. They were, they were joyful times two. They, they were re- exceedingly joyful and, and it was a great joy. He's just trying to tell us. It, it was exciting. They were full of joy as they witnessed Christ. When they saw Jesus with his mother, with his mother Mary, they, they fell down and they worshipped him. And then they gave him great treasures, treasures worthy of only a king. They, they gave frankincense and they gave myrrh and they gave gold. Now, I was reading an illustration of this and I just thought it was funny. And it's like, can you just imagine for a second just these, these wise men there? They're there, they, they walk into this town, and they find Mary, and there's Jesus, and he's anywhere between sort of birth and two years of age, and so he's not big, and they just know they're going to look for this Messiah, this king, and they, and they got all these treasures that they brought from wherever it is they came from, and, and they show up, and there's three of them, and they kind of look at each other, and they're like, we're going to give it all to them? 
I mean, they're unloading gold. They're just saying, this is yours. Like, it's one of those things I think we just get familiar with. We just think, yeah, we give frankincense and we give myrrh and we give gold to, to this little baby Jesus who hasn't really done anything yet except for he came into this world and nobody really knows anything about him yet. They haven't seen any great miracles or anything, but, but they were moved in such a way where they emptied it. Frankincense, myrrh, and, and they just gave the gold to him. So what does it look like to accept Jesus? I don't think it's, it's just this, yeah, I believe in him. Yeah, that's Jesus. Me and him are pals. See, for these wise men to accept him, what they did is they gave it all to him. They opened up their treasures and they emptied them out and they said, this is yours. See, accepting Christ means dying to self. Giving up our life, trusting completely in Him for everything. Sure, it includes singing these songs. I think that's the easy. That's where I wrestled this week. Is okay. We're gonna we're gonna worship Christ. We're gonna we're gonna call people to accept Jesus, and we're gonna bow and we're gonna worship Him. We kind of do that every Christmas, and it's like this. But I think it's so much more than that. See, worship is singing. That's a part of it. But worship is also honoring him with our lives. Worship looks like drawing near to him and asking forgiveness from him. Worship looks like being reconciled with somebody you're in the midst of a conflict with. Worship looks like forgiving somebody who has sinned against you. Worship looks like going to work faithfully. Worship looks like husbands loving their wives as Christ loved the church. Worship looks like children obeying their parents in the Lord. And then when you screw up going back and asking forgiveness and just living a life of repentance and faith. See, worship is singing and that's what we want to do. We want to praise God with our lips. But we want to learn from these wise men and we want to give them everything. So I ask you this morning, how have you responded to Jesus? How will you respond to Jesus? Will you reject him as your Lord and Savior? Will you neglect him? Will you just kind of push him off to the side and and maybe come back to him when you have time for him? Or will you give your life to him? I'd say this, we sang about it this morning. If I can have the band join me as well. He's worthy of giving your life to him. He's worthy because he's God who came into this world. And I'm never going to tire of sharing this message with you, but he's worthy because he's God and he came into this world to live in your place so that he might die for you. And he did die. And God raised him from the dead in victory over sin and death. And so we have hope. We have hope of being forgiven of every sin. Because he paid the penalty for them all. If you believe. But if you reject him or you neglect him, then you don't have this hope. That's why I would urge us, let's accept him. Let's follow him. 
and let's worship him. Amen. Let's stand and let's close and sing together.